Welcome to episode 21 of the Phases of the Moon Knight podcast. This is the show where each week we read a stack of classic Moon Knight comics, then get together and talk about the characters, villains, and stories with an eye towards how these stories may connect to the Disney Plus Moon Knight TV show. We'll also be discussing comic history, comic book reading, and other Moon Knight related news. My name is Dwayne, and with me is my good buddy Dan. Dan, welcome back. Excited to hey, be Dwayne. here. Absolutely. Episode 21. Who would yeah. have ever thought? Episode uh, 21. It uh, is. We've made it, made it a long time. Pretty exciting. <laughs> it is. So, I don't know about you, but we're still reeling from what we saw in episode 4 of the TV show. But we're going to dive into some books this week that came right after the Lemire... Lemire, sorry, Lemire Smallwood run that served as inspiration for the show called Moon Knight Legacy. Now, these books feature a battle with Ra the Sun King and a horrific origin story that starts to explain how Mark Spector became the man he is today and the introduction of, and pardon my French, <laughs> Societe de Sadiq cult. There you go. That's yeah. that, that's as good as I'm gonna get it. Sorry. <laughs> we could we could just call it the Sadist Society yeah. rather than butchering French the entire, uh, the, <laughs> the probably, entire episode. It, it would be probably be a, probably be a good idea. But let's let's quick jump into some Moon Knight news before we get into our stack for this week. Uh, the first story we want to talk about is the Moon Knight directors break down the hospital sequence in entertainment weekly so there'll be an, a link in the show notes and it was a nice little interview uh with the with the directors from this week's episode talking talking about that hospital sequence and it is absolutely amazing there's two quotes in there specifically that that i wanted to call out and get your thoughts on dan the first was from aaron moorhead one of the directors and he talked about there is a run of moon knight written by jeff lemire Lemire, God dang it. Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood did the art, and it has a lot of similar feelings and visuals to what happens at the end of episode four. We are really glad to be able to honor the original comics, the ones that we were most drawn to when we were trying to crack Moon Knight. That's where the inspiration came from, especially visually and tonally. Yep. So... I, I mean, the, not that we didn't get, make that connection already, but this is confirmation that that is, in fact, what they were going for and and I think did a fantastic job. Yep, absolutely. And it, it is also interesting that they've made the decision to really sort of lean into the newer comics. You know, so there's still there's still a lot of stuff that's going to, relate to the original sort of books from back in the 80s and 90s and the like. But really, this is a this is a modern interpretation of Moon Knight using some of the more modern comics uh, of Moon Knight as well. So, whereas sometimes, you know, with, with some of the Spider-Man and things like that, they would basically go back to the basics from kind of the original origins. They're looking a lot at some of the newer stuff and the newer interpretations with Moon Knight, really kind of starting there with it. So, but yeah, not, not particularly surprising considering what right. we've seen. Yes. And th 
Also in that article was a, a quote from Oscar Isaac, who said, I wanted I wanted it to feel like the audience is just as drugged as Mark is in that moment. It is a total mind melt that happens when you realize the possibility that everything you've been watching is not what you thought it was. And yep. uh, that is, yeah. <laughs> they Absolutely. It, that's what happened in the comics happened to me quite a bit actually in those in that run of comics and they did a fantastic job mirroring that whole feeling in in the episode as well yeah it's it's definitely it was really well done and it was really interesting and it was cool though also to be able to even as you know there's the mind melt of people realizing that I think for those of us who are comic fans, there's also that mind melt of the realization that, oh, hey, I, I know what's going on here. I think you said it best in our, in our other episode. You're like, I know what's going on. I, have, I don't know what's going on, but I know what's going on, right? Right. That everything was confusing, but you could immediately sort of see, oh, they're diving into Lemire here. And so I've got an idea kind of where this is headed. So, yeah, that was... Interesting to see that, and, and I did love kind of the way they used the, the 80s sort of VHS TV show as kind of this weird, um, almost like transition. transition into it. Yeah. It was really well done, kind of an interesting way to throw you off even before they throw you off. So, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So speaking of the hospital scene, we have an article here, Moon Knight's Oscar Isaac Bruh. Oscar Isaac's brother worked as his body double. So the scene where Mark and Stephen hug, the stand-in for Oscar Isaac in those two shots is actually his brother, Michael Benjamin Hernandez. So he's actually hugging somebody and not just some CGI. Well, nope. he is. There, there is somebody actually there. And, and yep. so that is an actual firm embrace. And it was interesting in that article, we find out that Hernandez has his own fake name in the Mar in the Moon Knight Marvel universe. And it is <laughs> Mark Sphincter. Really? Yes. I, I did not know this. <laughs> yes, that is, My that goodness. is fantastic, I guess. So I don't, I don't think that we need to dwell on any of that but it was just uh, you know sounds like they were having some fun on set in other words yes exactly uh, exactly sometimes seems to come through they do seem like they are really enjoying themselves making this show and they've enjoyed kind of a lot of the promos and stuff like that it seems like it was a set that uh had a lot of collaboration had a lot of fun and it hopefully shows up in making things better nice yes so Moon Knight Fever is hitting video games, and specifically Fortnite. Uh, you can now apparently get a Moon Knight slash Mr. Knight skin in the in-game shop for Fortnite. Uh, there was a big um, promotion of that both uh, through Fortnite and on, on Marvel.com. And in that uh, notation, they said, includes the outfit... Included in the outfit is Moon Knight's cloak-backed bling, and for your close quarters combat, the crescent darts and the crescent dart pickaxe is available in the shop as well. So, um, yeah. Yes. 
it this 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 show is transcending just the the kind of comic book niche and and fully extending out into into pop culture and and kind of finding yes. its way all over the place yeah seeing a seeing moon knight dance in fortnite is a is a disturbing <laughs> thing though. so i'm i'm going i'm going to uh to choose to ignore this particular piece of pop culture that uh that's a it's not not in my wheelhouse i'm afraid yeah. but it is it is pretty cool nonetheless it, that it is out there yeah it does it does like i said it does seem like it's just kind of spider spidering out uh, in in all sorts of new and interesting places where i i was not necessarily expect expecting this character to go i was like i don't even know who this character is six months ago and uh and and yeah now he now he's everywhere disney marketing machine there you go so what what's going on on the paper front dan absolutely nothing it is Quiet as crickets. Not only do we have the paper shortage, we're like everything's getting pushed back, but we're kind of in that period where, you know, with only one moon night coming out a month, there's a number of weeks where there's not a lot going on. So as of this point, we don't have any new moon night comics, and there's no new reprint editions this week as well. I believe we've got another one maybe coming out next week that we'll, uh, or we can talk about on next week's show. But as of right now, Absolutely nothing coming into stores this Wednesday for Moon Knight fans. Um, which, at that point, I decided that for my recommendation, I would just go with my my sort of comics comfort food. I discovered something called Giant Days a few, year, uh, a few years ago, and now have both the kids uh, addicted to it as well. And it's a sort of a true comic, like a cartoon comic, about a bunch of British university students. Absolutely brilliantly drawn. It's written by John Allison. He's also done a little bit of the art, but the artists other than that were Lissa Tryman and Max Saren. Uh, Saren's done most of the art, and absolutely, they're just spectacular. The art from Max Saren is some of the best comic art I've seen in years. It's really kind of funny and cartoony, but absolutely brilliant. So, Giant Days. Check it out. It is completely... The anti-Moon Knight, by the way. There is, there is there we go. nothing even remotely Moon Knight-esque about Giant Days. So. All right. Well, thank you for that recommendation. Let's let's move into the stack for this week. What are, what are we going to be covering? Super simple. We're going through, well, I shouldn't say that. It's, it's Moonlight Legacy number 188 through 200, sometimes called the Bemis Run. And... I say simple because it's just, you know, 12 books or 13 books. Um, but these books are insane. And so we're going to talk about this. We're going to try and give people an idea of what happens in these. But it is definitely, it is an experience that to a certain extent, you just have to read these for yourselves maybe after we're done, uh, dear listeners, and see what you think of them. So... Anyway, should we go ahead and, and take off with the first one? See what we yes. got here? There's going to be a lot to talk about. There is this, this first story. Thinking about what we just went through with Lemire and Smallwood, this is the first story post that, 
where we had this situation where you're not quite sure what's real, what's not. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 it's, I, yeah, <laughs> please try and tell us exactly what happened in, in this, in this set of books. Exactly what happened might be a little bit different, but right. here's the thing. This is a six part story. So there's a lot going on here. Uh, it's called Crazy Runs in the Family. I believe it was initially introduced as a five-part story, and then it just sort of extended a little bit. They had more than they than they could deal with in their allotted time. But essentially, the, um, Dr. Emmett, the psychologist who'd been working with Mark Spector when he was younger, now has a new patient at a place called Ravencraft Asylum called, she, call, she just calls him Patient 86. Guy. He's very, very long-haired and scary, and he's got scars all across his hands and sort of wrists area. Uh, look like burn scars. Turns out that Emmett has actually been a bit obsessed with Spectre's case for a number of years and believes that her current charge could benefit from sort of having an Egyptian patron that they can look up to, sort of the same way that they, she thinks that um, that Khonshu and, and sort of Mark's adoption of the Egyptian god helped him to get through some of his problems. So in this case, she, because of the fact that he's he's got burns and the like and has sort of an interest in, in some of that sort of, like in fire and the like, uh, she decides Ra might be a good character for him to, to learn more about, brings him a bunch of stuff. He takes this instruction a bit too well, uh, and it turns out he's actually got mutant fire powers or gets them from somewhere. It's never really stated where he gets right. them. And ends up first biting a nurse's nose off when she doesn't believe that he's raw, and then lighting the entire asylum on fire and horrifically burning Dr. Emmett when she doesn't believe him really either. At that point, he's off uh, and out into the community. Uh, meanwhile, Mark Moon Knight is facing off against this hulking creature called the Truth, who in his presence, people seem to sort of see things a bit too clearly for their own good. A lot of folks who become sort of nihilistic or just break down in tears or whatever. Um, Jake Lockley puts two moon darts in his eyes eventually after they, they get find him and, and have a fight, which is a very gross fight or a finish to their fight. And after that, we then move back to see what Sun King's up to. He's actually tracked down a down-on-his-luck bushman who's kind of a low-level drug lord someplace in New York. Yeah. Uh, convinces him to team up. And Bushman is kind of, like, overweight, and he's lost a lot of his confidence. And he's like, man, I'm tired of messing with Moon Knight. But Sun King shows him enough power that he's like, yeah, between us we can take him. And so he agrees to up back in on a, a thing. They put together an army of people who have been disfigured or um, essentially mutilated by Moon Knight over the course of his many violent adventures, and they mm -hmm. decide to go after him. So when they're doing this, they decide that they're going to defeat him not only with the army, but by actually going after his family, which is news not only to us, but to most of Moon Knight's alters themselves, right? Because we soon find out Jake Lockley 
has been seeing Marlene for the last few years without telling the other alters that they're getting together. And they now have a sort of sort of a preschool age daughter, something like that. Looks like she's maybe five, six years old. Mm-hmm. All of the secrets about this come out when Moon Knight, Bushman, and the Sun King all sort of converge on Marlene's house. Um, Sun King reveals that indeed uh, Lockley, Jake Lockley, has been sleeping with Marlene. Marlene's been kind of keeping all these secrets from Stephen and from Mark. Mark is mad at uh, Lockley. Everything's a mess. But of course then a big fight starts. In their defense, Moon Knight does actually save their daughter and gets gets her away while Marlene is kidnapped by these guys and they then use her to lure Spectre to a sort of deserted island that Sun King has taken a bunch of his followers for and started this new cult. For reasons that are not particularly explained, the babysitter, when he leaves, is going to be Frenchie. And when Frenchie comes in, he looks like a zombie at the end of one of the issues. <laughs> yeah, that's so We then wait a month to find out why he's a zombie, and it turns out it was just in Mark's head. And so at some point, uh, I had to go back and read this like three times. Jean-Paul pulls the, the zombie mask off, throws it on the floor, and Spectre's like, his daughter's standing there, and he's like, don't stand on... On Frenchie's face, dear. She's like, what are you talking about, Dad? Yeah. So <laughs> he's, he's being crazy in front of the kid, which is not good. No. But, so a lot of those almost kind of misdirect type things. But he goes to the island, beats up a bunch of people on the boat going across. Then Sun King drugs him when he gets to the island. And they have this sort of crazy fight in a circle of fire. Eventually he defeats him. Spectre ends up almost losing, but then the three of them kind of get together in their mind, and they see this big picture in yeah. the mind of their daughter, and it, it gives them the power of crazy. The, yeah, the power and of crazy is. He then defeats the Sun King. The truth watches all of this, decides to rethink his decisions and become a better man. And Dr. Emmett, who's horrifically burned, is standing there in the in the back, crying a little bit, and her faith and trust in Mark Spectre is restored. So she's given up on the, the Sun King as sort of the one she's she's following, and she's back on the Moon Knight train. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. I do not do this justice, by the way. You you cannot no, you write really a reasonable can't. summary of this, but hopefully you folks get the idea that there's a lot going on, and all of it is insane. So, what do you think, Dwayne? This is this is my my head just. <laughs> hurts thinking about this story it is like i i don't i i don't even know where to start from this it, it just it's sort of it is just so weird like we've had some weird stories over the over the time that we've gone through all these comics and and like there's been some stuff individually that just is like i don't know what it why where did this come from but this arc as like an entire like six story six book arc story has to be up there as one of the weirdest things 
in there just because of all the kind of left turns it feels like it does through this. Like, I I don't. Okay, what Jake Lockley and Marlene revealing that they've been like having this relationship when Stephen and Mark have basically just isolated themselves from Marlene this whole time because they're concerned about her safety. Yes. And and and, and it just infuriates Spectre to the point of like it looked like he wanted to rip his own face off. That, that was what it, and, and there's a kid involved now too. Deatrice is her name. I I I no. This felt soap opera esque to be perfectly honest with you. It's it's definitely crazy. And I did like the fact, I mean, they introduced two new characters. You've got the Truth and the Sun King as sort of new adversaries. And Sun King especially is really, in terms of the way they've set him up with his, his history and the mythology and whatever, is really a, a very good foil for Moon Knight. So I yeah. think that the the base ideas of making the new villain, some of the other stuff, but it's just got so much going on, and it's got so many things that are just over the top that it does it it walks two lines, and I think that's the thing. It deals with what what could be a lot of very emotionally difficult topics. Yeah, but it does it in a way that is is so almost it, it's like if you go to one of those movies that's supposed to be a horror movie and people start laughing because things just yeah. aren't scary they're just uh-huh. almost absurd enough that it just makes you laugh uh-huh. this is sort of like that i actually in terms of if you just turn off your brain and you don't think about it much i think that jason burrow's art in this with guillermo ortega really good i like the the coloring and everything bemis's story is very readable you know it it makes sense it's just goofy you know yeah and so if you don't think about it too much it's entertaining but if you do think about it it makes you i i i I thought about it too much apparently well we have to we're gonna come and visit about it and it's like when you really start trying to put together what happened here you're like oh my god this is just insane so, yeah, a lot of the things that we see here, I think, come out of the fact, though, that, again, those, those, the previous series just fundamentally changed the modern Moon Knight in a lot of ways. Things got a lot more psychological. You know, there's, there's fighting in these, but really much more. This is kind of a, a book where a lot of the resolution comes through things happening in Mark Spector's head or through resolutions that actually aren't as violent as some of the other ones used to be. Right. And it's a, it's a very different look at Moon Knight. So what did you make of Jake Lockley in these books? Because there seems to be kind of a shift in who slash what that character is. Wouldn't you say? I think this might be one of the biggest differences between folks who are 
what I'd call modern Moon Knight fans and people who are Moon Knight fans who've been around a long time is Jake Lockley, to me, has always been at his best sitting around drinking a cup of coffee and maybe getting a little bit of information while talking to Crawley. Right. right. Jake Lockley does not have much actual function within the actual Moon Knight world. He's not a, you know, it was always that Mark Spector was Moon Knight and he was the guy who went out and did the fighting and everything. Stephen Grant was the guy who hung out with Marlene and ran the business and was sort of the, the one who'd do a lot of the traveling and stuff like that. You know, it was Batman and Bruce Wayne. And he had right. this weird Matches Malone kind of little underworld or, or low-level guy who would go around and just be somebody who could hang at the diner and whatever. In these modern stories, what has evolved instead is an idea that Lockley is the lockbox for all of the darkest impulses and all of the worst things that this human being has done. They're like all of the really bad stuff done by Mark Spector hasn't been done by Mark Spector. It's been done by Jake Lockley. Yeah. And so he is sort of, he, he's gone from being the lightest of the characters to being the darkest of the characters. And, I, and that's, a tough, that's a tough transition for me to make because right. the idea of Jake Lockley as this really, really dark part of Moon Knight is something that's taking me a while to get used to. But I think that in the modern books, you see that that is, you know, they talk about this actually, and that, you know, Lockley is the guy who's sort of the, and, and even when Conchu's there and like talking, um, Lockley is the guy they let loose when things really get bad. So yeah, the, and, and the, this just this feels weird and different. Like this, this, this is the Mark Spector character that it felt like you know Stephen Grant was trying to distance himself from earlier in the comics, mm-hmm. and and now it's. It's this other altar, and and it just I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm trying to decide how much sense that makes because it just like ha or did did it happen here or has did it happen before here and I'm just now noticing it here. I don't think that there's much case to be made that say during I mean definitely during you know, the original Mensch books, there would have been no real indication of this. But even if you go back to um, to the Houston books, I think that it's pretty clear there that it's Mark Spector that's the down-and-out violent guy that's, you know, beating the crap out of Taskmaster. There's no, there's no transition to Jake Lockley that is ever mentioned. Right. Now, you could make the argument that somewhere in there that's happening and they just never talk about it that if some of these ridiculously ultraviolent things are happening, like, the, you know, when he's carving his Bushman's initials in people's or, heads or, or whatever, that that would almost have to have been Lockley taking over. But I, I don't know that there's any, there wasn't any indications in the books at, the, at that time. 
as far as I know. Yeah. I could be wrong on that. But, I mean, we both read through them. And I think this is first time, really, you start to see that indication that that Lockley is. And it, it started to come through last week a little bit, I think, when they started to isolate the personalities out. Right. So I think this is a, a function a little bit of the Lemire transition. But it's definitely mm-hmm. something that's new. And, and it might, and it might, and it definitely seems like that's a direction the TV show is taking as well. TV show is absolutely taking that and running. Well, I shouldn't say absolutely, but I would be shocked, and I think every Moon Knight fan who's a current comics fan right. would be shocked if that rattling sarcophagus does not have Jake Lockley in it. Yeah, and he was, and he was the one that that actually that stabbed those two, knifed the guys, um, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, this this is such a. Uh, I had not considered just how, from a function of creating a an adversary, goes this. There's actually a pretty interesting av- adversary that's created in in, uh, in the Sun King, in mm-hmm. in these books, and we actually see him again before the end of this this legacy run. But but yeah, it just it it got lost in all the. Yep. All the all the storytelling it for me at least a little bit. And sometimes I mean there's not every story is a home run in all elements. But right. I think that one of the things that Bemis did here that is useful is I read a book actually about the Captain America books of the the 80s and 90s. And they were written by a guy named Mark Grunwald who's written a he wrote just a massive run but one of the things that he talked about was, was an initial important thing he wanted to do was to update Captain America's villains lineup. Because if in many ways, a hero is only as interesting as his villains. And right. Moon Knight has an unfortunate tendency, I don't know if you've noticed, to impale and otherwise murder his villains, which makes them a lot less useful, right? Right. To the point where we even see Bushman is basically at this point like, man, I don't yeah. even want to deal with this guy. Right? Yeah. So you've got, he talked about that to have a, a functional character who can hold down their own book, you need to have like 10 or maybe 12 different villains that they can face. So there's people that they can go, you know, you're not every, every issue facing the same, uh, the same threat. And Moon Knight really doesn't have that. He's got a number, you know, back in the day he had Morpheus and he had Scarlet. He had um, Bushman and Midnight. Midnight. And, you know, a number of those have been killed off. Uh, Some of them we haven't seen as much of and the like. He needs more villains. And not only did we get this, but as you'll see in the the ones we're reading up uh, in the current run, that's something that we're seeing McKay do as well, is start to bring in some new characters to add into his villain stable. Uh, and the, the key thing about this is we get two new villains, and he doesn't murder either of them. No. So they can come back. <laughs> no. So, they, they, so there the, you go. The, the idea of Bushman in this 
in these books. Oh my God, that is such a departure from what we've seen of Raul Bushman before now. He, yep. it, was, it was, he was almost the comic relief on the villain side, which was, yep. which was hard to, hard to take, I think. Like when you think about this guy being like the big bad adversary uh, mm-hmm. uh, of your main character and then to see him the way he's portrayed the, in this particular story was, was a bit jarring actually. Yeah, I don't. If I, I did find it satisfying though. For did something you? about because he's he's pretty awful. He deserves yeah. he he deserves to suffer, more than likely. You know he'll he'll get his mojo back and we'll see him again. Don't uh, don't worry about Bushman. Sure. He's a uh, all, all good villains always return, right? So we've we've killed him multiple times now and he's still coming back. So yeah. Let's let's move on to issue 194 because this is a very important book because we have a conversation with Jean-Paul. Mark Spector shares a traumatic event from his childhood that has led him to his dissociative identity disorder. Uh, Mark says that as a child he liked to be around this rabbi friend of his father's, Rabbi Yitz Perlman, who he considered to be an uncle. He would sit in the corner of Perlman's office and listen to the rabbis debate various topics and and other things that they would talk about. When not doing that, he liked to explore the uh, synagogue and see what he could find. One day, Mark is invited to the rabbi's office, but when he arrives early, the door is locked and he goes exploring the synagogue like he normally does and finds a trap door in the basement. He goes inside and finds Perlman is torturing a man. Uh, Perlman comes clean to Mark that he isn't Jewish and that he's actually a Nazi who killed Spectre's grandfather and his real name is Ernst. Mark, not okay with anything that he is seeing or hearing, attacks Ernst before running away. Ernst says they'll get him if he tells anyone and ends up actually transferring to a new synagogue the very next day. So Spectre never actually sees him again. Uh, the book ends with a nice moment between Mark and Dietrich talking about his disorder. So this is, this was, this was a very, very dark book. And I guess it needed to be to try and explain where, what, where, you know, how, how, how he ended up with this disorder and, and how he ended up kind of breaking from what would be, I guess, a, a, a normal upbringing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's, I think it was actually very well written and, and it, 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 it hits exactly what it needs to hit. What is, what did you think of this? I think this is one of the most important Moon Knight comics of the last decade. I mean, along with along with what Lemire has done, this is sort of the second the second big change to the character that really leads into kind of modern Moon Knight, and that is that we finally start to see them taking a better look at you know for dissociative identity disorder to be to occur. You have to have an intense, like, trauma, psychological trauma that occurs when you're young that somehow prevents the self from, from coalescing into a single identity. And this 
and I'm not sure if if the AGs Act is the right age for this, where it still would be or whatever, right. but it starts to give us that idea of you know how a how a rabbi's kid in Chicago would have experienced the trauma significant enough that it was result in this fractured psyche, and right. so. I think the art by Ty Templeton was really good. The story is is presented in a, you know, it's it's traumatic, but it's presented in a very um, sort of clear way. They do a, a really nice job of kind of letting you know what's going on, and yeah, it 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 makes some of it starts to help make sense of how Mark Spector becomes. Mark Spector and becomes Moon Knight. Yeah. I the the art you, you mentioned it is is really really good in this book and specifically that the the I don't want to say confrontation but the the um situation in that in that under that trap door there is mm everything is in this deep red and orange and gold the entire couple panels that mm -hmm. that where you know Ernst is revealing who he actually is and what he's doing and why he's doing it and you know tells him about his grandfather and 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 how that came to be and 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 that he was that he was going to keep doing this, he, and and it was just and he and he sort of expected Mark to just be okay with this or somehow it it wouldn't be a problem, and and obviously obviously it wasn't that wasn't the yeah. case. And the colorist is Kieran Smith, and it really was. There's a lot of deep reds and then a lot of deep purples, and then you know it's it's almost like you've got this the the violence in panels that are just sort of awash in red. You've got a lot of his sort of psychological worries dealing with this in kind of the purples, and then the pages of just his family and and of regular life are sort of in regular colors. So mm -hmm. it's got almost like a key to what's going on. But, yeah, and, and the part at the end where he is in trying to explain a little bit to his daughter of exactly... And, and actually, she's older, it looks like, than I had originally thought. Um, but trying to explain to his daughter a little bit of what it is that's going on and the whole, uh, you know, what dissociative identity is and, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's really an interesting issue that, you know, not only is he talking to his best friend about what's going on for maybe the first time, but he's yeah. also then trying to explain some of it to his, his family as well. So right. It it's weird coming from a story that is in, as insane as the one before it. Right. And going into a story that in my opinion is the most insane story in the history of movies. <laughs> you have in between it this deeply personal very very important story to the formation of the character. Yeah. By the same writer. He just he just kind of went from from one pole to another and then back again. So yeah, so so definitely read this issue if you if you have an opportunity and want to want to see 
how how Mark Spector became Mark Spector that we now mm-hmm. know. Read, read this, also, this issue. Yeah. And this also is another indication of kind of the reason why. It's interesting even reading like the, the letter columns because reading through some of the letter columns for a few of these and, and later books, there's like people who sign their letters as, you know, senior rabbi and stuff like this. There are not many Jewish characters in the Marvel Universe or in comics, really, that are heroes. And it's one of the reasons why I think that Moon Knight really is a deeply important character to a lot of Jewish folks who are comics fans. Also why there's, I think, a lot of concern about how the show is going to end up dealing with that. And with only two episodes left, they do not have a lot of time to, uh, to do a lot of things. So we're going to see what happens. Yeah. But, but yeah, this is, a, this is a really interesting story. Really well done story, important story. Definitely going to be one of our got to reads for this week. Let's put it yeah. that way. So. so so tell us about issues 195 and 196 the uh, beware the collective do I have to <laughs> these, these these are really crazy man um, so it's it's a it's a two issue story called beware the collective written by Max Bemis drawn by Paul Davidson and it is this mind-bending story where a researcher named Maurice brings together a group to, in his own words, fuse our personalities in defiance of our skin shackles. Uh, <laughs> eventually, they, they start off by just kind of all hanging out in a room and having these hats on that allow them to share their brainwaves or something. But eventually, uh-huh. they gain access to an untested AIM technology through the connections one of them has with a custodian at this abandoned AIM base. Untested supervillain technology is never a good idea, but they... Uh, they decided to go with it. They end up merging together into this hideous multi-body monster that can absorb others into its ever-growing collective. Um, Mark Spector is actually at a movie with Marlene, kind of daydreaming about going fishing with Khonshu. Um, he actually gets a cell phone notification, uh, excuses himself from the movie, and is called in to help the collective. Despite claiming not to be much of a joiner, Moon Knight eventually ends up being absorbed into this weird, multi-headed, almost like big Clayface-like body. Uh, uh-huh. If you think if you think Clayface only with lots of human-like jaws and parts and stuff like that sticking out of it, you'd get an idea of the horror that is the physical collective. Uh, but he's absorbed. He joins the collective's mind, where Maurice has now become sort of this leader of a shared mental world. There's all sorts of different parts to this world with like fairs and, you know, people wandering around frolicking here and there and whatever. But he actually decides to take on uh, sort of the policing of this collective as the leader of a team of Moon Knights um, before eventually realizing that Maurice himself is actually the real problem. They confront him. Uh, Maurice lets out a bunch of sort of ogre-type things that were uh, guarding the evil part of the collective or something like this. And Jake then punches him. The entire monster sort of explodes into this mess of component parts and individuals. And Maurice is hauled off to prison. With, it seems, a little bit of Conchu's uh, personality sort of residing yeah. in him as well. Yeah. So, this is just absolutely insane. 
you mentioned it the swings back and forth between these these three stories is really something and you know i look this to me isn't one of the most important stories that that we've that we've read um but it but it was it was weird but kind of interesting at the same time the art in these books is really different I have to say yes. it, it feels almost abstract. You have these like collisions of the different psyches of these people that are in this collective. And, you know, you have Maurice flying around in like briefs and like butterfly wings. And you've got weird. Was that briefs or was that just a big man diaper? It, I mean, I'm not really so I, sure. It was. I, I, I don't. I don't exactly know. But there was. It was. Odd. It was just. It was, just like a sensory, just sort of explosion. Uh, yep. Once they get inside this collective, and it was. It was so weird, and he and he's, he, he just seemed fine. I guess being in there at first, yes. and it's like. Oh, all right, sure. Yeah, I can. I can please make sure you know we've got this. Like everybody's got to kind of like be okay with one another and and this sort of thing. And if anybody steps out of place, me and my my other moon knights. And there's like a frog moon knight. There's like a whole bunch of weird, just absolutely weird stuff going on here. And, and he's okay with it. And he's like. Obviously, if I'm keeping everybody in line, then the the outside creature is going to be fine. And they like look outside, like they get a shot of what this thing is outside, and it's you know being bombarded by yeah, it's rampaging, being bombarded by by like tanks and things like this, and it keeps going. So, I yeah, yeah. I I don't know what to make of this exactly, but. Um, Let's move on to the final arc of moving the on. Moon, moon, oh, moon I will say one. I do want to know go. one thing. Okay, go. I for think it. the the voice that Bemis gives to Konshu in these books is absolutely perfect. He is he is just so sort of droll and funny, and he's kind of commenting on everything as it goes along. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear a lot of the dialogue he's doing in these books voiced by F. Murray Abraham. I think it would be <laughs> yes. absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So, in any case, yeah. other than that, we, we don't need to speak of these much more. So let's, let's move on to 197 to 200. All right. So this final arc is a story that begins at a dinner party for four candidates to join the Societe de Sadique, the the sadist cult uh, that enjoys inflicting pain on others. Each member shares how they got came to be considered for membership. Moon Knight, who's dressed like a server, reveals himself and suggests maybe he should be a member. Uh, there's a brief fight before it's halted by the head of the group, who is none other than the Uncle Ernst we learn about in issue 194. Moon Knight is then put through a series of trials intended to inflict pain and torture on himself and others, with the final test being that he kill a child. Mark Spector handles each of these without much issue until the very last one. Jake Lockley says that he'll 
man up and do it. Uh, but when push comes to shove, isn't able to do it either. Then the walls of the room that they're in collapse, revealing hundreds of members of this cult ready to fight Moon Knight. And that's where book 198 ends. Except that fight never actually happens because in book 199, it starts with Ernst and Moon Knight at a cafe in Brooklyn. Uh, there, Ernst monologues about the society, uh, the cult, and Mark is seeing all these weird creatures everywhere. It turns out Mark's been drugged uh, to kind of make him more complicit to what it, Ernst wants him to do. They go walking around. He's talking uh, to Spectre about things. And they end up in with this guy in this rundown room. Ernst tells Mark to look deeper into this into this character, and he sees this large monster with octopus tentacles. Uh, when Spectre won't attack the man, monster, whatever you want to call this thing, uh, at Ernst's direction, Ernst actually kicks him in the uh, in the man parts, and. Mark then strikes him back before walking out on Ernst, who ends up getting attacked by the man and all of Mark Spector's altars. It, it, it was, I'm not entirely clear what exactly happened there, but he, he basically just walks out and, and there's like, <laughs> the altars are like ripping apart this Ernst character. Yes. Spector, go, Spector goes outside and... Who's there? But the Sun King is there. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we find out that uh, Ernst had recruited the Sun King and the Truth as a backup plan to get Spectre on board with him and, and his cult. Spectre attacks the Sun King, but the Sun King doesn't actually want to fight. He says he just wants to talk. Sun King then shares that he wants to help Spectre deal with the rest of the cult who are coming for him and his family. Uh, the pair, the Sun King and, and Spectre, along with dozens of the Sun King's supporters, head to Marlene's house, who is definitely not happy to see to, to see the Sun King uh, in any way, shape, or form. Now in costume, Moon Knight and the Sun King take on the remaining members of the, of the cult, both on the ground and in their airship, which... Again, really weird. Before turning their sights on the truth, who is intent on spreading Ernst's message to the world and is powered by some sort of blue corruption. Mm -hmm. uh, the three men fight, and Moon Knight and the Sun King emerge victorious. At which time, then, Spectre, who's shirtless for some reason, brings the Sun King to a mental health facility. And that's, that's, where, the, that's where this ends. It is... It is almost as wild and weird as that first story that we talked about. Yes. Yeah, this is this is really strange and it's a very as much as I like the fact that they that that Bemis was able in 194 to start explaining some things. The resolution to that he gives us almost immediately in 197 to 200 does not really live up to the the setup of what was created. I mean, the idea was that at that point, Ernst essentially, I think, 
had let Spectre survive, knowing that somehow he'd planted this seed in him that was going to turn him into a sadist who would be someone who would then be almost like an heir to Ernst. That, right. that in some ways, Spectre's entire career has been this, this sort of plot by this guy to turn him into the next one of him. And I, I, I don't like that interpretation of it, so I tend to just ignore it. But it's definitely there. Yeah. The, the story overall, you know, does get really confusing. Sun King becomes a very interesting character in this. But he becomes almost like this hipster kind of guy. Yeah. He comes in and he's like, hey, man. And then they, they drive around on their motorcycle and just <laughs> hang out. Yeah. And it's, it's a very odd kind of, kind of partnership. And Sun King is still a very bad guy. You know, he's still the same guy who bit the nurse's nose off a few issues ago. Uh-huh. But he's trying to do better and the like. And there is really, at that point, a lot of similarities between him and Mark Spector. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I found this to be really kind of crazy. It's also interesting that, you know, Paul Davidson is still doing the art. But it looks a lot different from the last two books because he's toned it down. You know the the complete just just insanity of one ninety five and one ninety six. You you look like your dear listeners. I, Dwayne is giving me kind of a, a he, look like really that's this, the same this, artist. This the, okay. <laughs> so the art. Oh God! Across these last six books, the art has gone. Almost has gone wildly different. Like ninety five and ninety six looked one way, and actually, now that I think about it a little bit more, ninety five and ninety six and ninety nine and two hundred kind of have some similarities to them. I think a little bit, but one ninety seven and one ninety eight looked completely different, and like jarringly different. And, and and I was thinking about the fact that, like, you know, it's one thing when it's two different stories and having having two completely different looks. But the the fact that the art kind of completely changes from, you know, you have this have this one scene at the end of 198 where where, you know, basically it's Moon Knight and this little girl surrounded by like a hundred of these uh, uh of these society members and you're ready for this big fight and then suddenly the next issue it looks completely different they're in a completely different location doing completely different things it was it was very jarring and mm-hmm. i almost felt like i missed a book or something in there so burroughs was the artist for the first run and then 94 was Ty Templeton. That's the only one he did. 95 and 96 were Davidson. 97 and 98 were Burroughs. And then 99, Davidson comes back. And 200, number 200 actually is Burroughs, Jeff Lemire, and Bill Sienkiewicz, um as guest artists with Davidson as the primary artist. 
Yeah. It gets kind of confusing, though. So that's one of the reasons. So the first six books are drawn by one guy. Then you have an issue by somebody else. Then, yeah, it, it's kind of crazy. So, yeah, this is, this is just nuts, though. I mean, Bemis has sort of taken all of his threads that he established early on. He's brought back Sun King. He's brought back The Truth. He's brought back Ernst. And then he just makes this big story out of all of it. And in the end, everything just kind of glomps together into their all antagonists until two of them just decide they really don't want to be bad guys and yeah. decide to help. And then it all ends up at Marlene's place in this big battle royale type of thing. Yeah, it was so it was so weird. Uh, like, I, I don't I, I honestly do not know what to make of it. I, I think you I think you hit it right on the head where it just feels like some of the um, gravity of the of the origin story kind of gets lost in in this which it which is a little um i don't want to say disappointing but at the same time it's like it, it loses some impact um yeah. we see we see we actually see morpheus for the first time in a while as one of the trials that that moon yeah. Knight has to deal with which was weird because basically he's just sitting there slurping on a soft drink and implanting <laughs> memory you know crazy dreams and stuff into his head and he's like been doing it for like four or five hours and apparently Spectre yeah. just had to endure this Spectre um, like kills and eats a dolphin which is yeah. kind of and, that, that's uh, like infected with rabies somebody. yeah it's, it's, and, it's, and then starts eating the meat and they're like you don't want to eat yeah. rabies infected dolphin we'll yeah. get you something you're done with your trial so it was there was a lot of stuff there. Uh, one thing that I did think was really cool about this, just as a an ending, is the very last page of this, which would be Moon Knight 200. So it's not only the 200th issue overall of Moon Knight, but it's the end of this run. Like they they shut it down at that part, right? And Moon Knight doesn't have a series for a year, year and a half at this point afterwards. But that page is actually drawn by Bill Sienkiewicz. So I think it was kind of cool that they brought it back and it's a splash page of Spectre just kind of walking off uh, in the rain at the end. Yeah, so. Okay, I did not realize that. That that yep. That's actually pretty cool. I also was just looking through. I do think I see where Lemire's page or Lemire's page is. Uh, there is a Dietrice or Dietrice and Daddy uh, page like yes. a comic page and that looks like it's almost certainly that's going to be Lemire's art so that is that is where he came in on this so he uh he did the the little girl's drawing that she made the comic yeah. book she made for him so yeah what uh what did you think of this though as a I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure I liked this as necessarily a finish to this to this run of comics if I yeah. if I'm being perfectly honest, like I, some of the art was, agree. some of the art was pretty cool, but like the story, it 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 feels very sort of like '90s story kind of stuff when you just had really really insane stuff happen often for no reason, 
Uh-huh. And I think that after some of the after some of the stories we'd been seeing, especially coming off the Lemire run and stuff like that, we're seeing a lot of these far more far more subtle and kind of developed stories that it maybe was a little even more obvious just how off the rails these books were. But that said, I mean, I would say that compared to a normal Marvel comic, one that's in the more superhero realm, okay. your, your standard everyday Spider-Man or, or Avengers type book, this sort of crazy happens all the time. So it's probably <laughs> okay. it's probably partly just that we're used to now Moon Knight being a more grounded character that mm. we don't see some of this sort of really improbable and insane stuff happen on a regular basis. It's not that unusual in comics actually. So, sure. So so I think these were these were pretty good comics overall. They also were very tongue in cheek at times, you know, because even like the last panel when he's bringing the Sun King in. The the top of the thing, you know, when it talks about the they're going to the place, and the heading says, a very good, very secure mental health facility. And there's another point where I believe they're reading some sort of book or manual, and it's by Lemire, or by Lemire. He said, yeah, it's, that's a really good one. So there's a lot of meta stuff, even within these books. So he kind of knows that he's playing with the character a little bit. And, you know... Anyway, anything else you wanted to, to visit with about these? No, no. What I so as far as important reads or, or good reads to get out of these books, I think without a doubt, one ninety four, the origin story is is one you definitely want to read. Yeah, it it is a foundational book and. I, I definitely, on that same token, would shy away from 197 to 200 because I think it kind of um, undermines that initial story a little bit. And so I would not worry about those. 188 to 193, the battle with the Sun King is interesting to me, if not a bit crazy. It does feel like there's the potential that there could be some tie-ins to the final two episodes of the TV series. If we do end up having this like War of the Gods sort of situation occur, we might see Ra and and his avatar uh, mm-hmm. as part of this battle. So, so those would be the books if I was going to recommend or re- have you read any of those in this group. That would be what I would have you read. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, you know it's it's interesting, but yeah, really the 194 is a completely different animal than the other 12 or whatever comics in this. It yeah. is a it's a very sane, very subdued, very kind of foundational piece of Moon Knight mythos at this point. Whereas everything else really you could skip and it wouldn't impact your understanding or appreciation of 194 at all. Other than you'd have no idea why he's talking to his daughter, which would be a little bit awkward, right? Yeah. So I think that the first the first run, because of the fact you find out that he's got a kid and you find out that Jake Lockley, you get a little better idea of who Jake Lockley is in the modern context as this sort of most violent of the altars. I... I actually think they're pretty important as well. Yeah. And 
with the fact that Sun King is introduced, with the fact that the truth is introduced as potential characters that you might see, it develops Dr. Emmett. I actually think these books do good work. So I, I like the first part of this run. It goes, at least for me, pretty much off the rails after 194. Because <laughs> that's, that's fair. I think that's the, fair to say. The, the next two are just goofy. And then the last ones, I think, yeah, they they do really diminish in some ways the first part of the run if you're not careful. So I would I would be very happy if they just stopped with 194 and called it a day. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the best way to do it if you're reading them. Um, sure. But it's uh, it's interesting stuff. Overall, though, the the other thing, just as a note for, for folks thinking about the TV show, is that when we first had the announcement of Arthur Harrow and we first saw some of the stuff they were talking about with Ethan Hawke's character, a lot of people thought it was going to actually be the Sun King, was what he would be playing, and that they were just disguising that. So the idea that... You know, this character was one that initially a lot of people thought was going to be the actual big bad of the TV show. Especially when we saw that there was like the little cultish thing with people gathering around him and that sort of stuff. Uh, it had a lot of, of things that kind of seemed like that. And that appears now to have been completely incorrect. Yeah. But you never know. Yeah, he, he certainly could come back because we haven't seen Ra's avatar yet. And it's very possible it could be somebody very similar to this character. So we could so we could see Ra in the of things in this run that might make it into the show. We could see Ra. I think we could see that the the Jake Lockley that we saw in this in this run mm-hmm. uh as being that really dark, really ultraviolent version or alter of of Mark Spector's uh, those could be some of the things. Is there anything else from these books know. that you think might make it into the show? Lockley finally comes out and you know meets up with Layla and says, "Hey, how how's our kid doing?" or something there like this. Go. Oh yeah, just that to, would be just to completely throw everybody one hundred percent off their mind. So uh-huh. um, no, I I don't know, I don't know that a whole lot of this at this point. You know, the the show is pretty well on its way to being what it's going to be. Yeah. And I don't see that there's a lot of things here that, that have time, but, but really, yeah, the, the sun King elements, there is a possibility of bringing some of them in. That's the main thing I think we might see from this. And it's unlikely at this point, but it's certainly possible. All right. Well, let's look ahead. What are we going to be covering in next week's show? Next week's comic book show. Next week's comic book show is going to be interesting because we're going to cover two things. We're going to start out by talking about an event, an annual uh, that was from 2019 that is one that's kind of a one-off uh, where he faces off against Kang the Conqueror. And then we're going to take a look at the Avengers comics that were actually called the, the Age of Khonshu. And this is going to be essentially a sort of a a big battle 
in which Khonshu starts causing trouble in the Marvel Universe, and Moon Knight gets himself into some trouble. Uh, so, And that, that then leads into the stuff that we're going to be looking at um, in his current series as well, and explains some of the stuff that's been going on there. Starts in Avengers 33, goes through 37, and then we'll, uh, we'll kind of take a look at it and see how it goes. Right. Well, that is going to do it for us for this week. We'd like to thank you for joining us. We'd love for you to stick around as we continue our journey through the story of Moon Knight. We recommend that you subscribe to the podcast on your podcast player of choice so you'll get each new episode as, as soon as it's released. If you've already subscribed, please consider leaving us a review. It will help others find the show. You can send us questions or feedback to our show via email. Uh, that address is questions at phasesofthemoonnight.com. And for updates on the show, other announcements, as well as to interact with us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Phases of MK. All right. There we go. Good stuff. We've got to week five. Week five of the show. And, and we're almost almost caught up to current, current books, too. We're, Two weeks we're... of the show left. Two weeks of comics left. We are... Uh, and then that point we'll do a few uh do a few wrap-ups and then hopefully we will have some information uh, uh for you guys on where we're going to be going next and what we're going to be talking about next we're still kind of finalizing what our plans are for that so should be fun yes uh until until next time take care everybody see you later have a good week